listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. 2 Corinthians 8-9 is where we're looking at today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I'm going to read this, this verse, and then we're going to get into it in a little bit. But I'm going to read our text here today. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's an amazing, amazing verse. That is an amazing truth. And we're going to look at that in a, in, in a greater way in a few moments. You know, it kind of seems kind of interesting that we um, are experiencing, it would seem in our society, a little bit of an infused craze right now, infusion of different things. And, and uh, for instance, like, there's infused water, you know, that, that's becoming a popular thing, you know, and, and, and flavoring water to make it more appealing, a little more exciting to bring water back to, you know, its importance, but it, it can also be used as a detox. It's a way to get some, some vitamins and minerals into you. It is a way even to assist in weight loss. Apparently, cucumbers are, are helpful in weight loss, putting it in water and having that cucumber juice, not only flavor but weight loss and, and, and various other health benefits. And so, so it has all kinds of health benefits and options as well as just a great way to hydrate yourself, to, to enjoy drinking water again. But it do, doesn't stop there. There's, I did a little search on this. It's kind of comical, some of the things that are in, infused. There's nitrogen-infused coffee now is becoming a popular thing, kind of a hipster kind of thing, where it foams up. It, it, it makes a little more foamy to look a little bit more like beer and, and makes a little zippier, I guess, a little smoother, a little richer consistency. And, and so it's kind of this trendy thing. And then you can get infused olive oil, various flavors and that. And that's, you know, there's even stores. I believe there's one in the mall that is basically, you know, just, just giving olive oil a new flavor. And, and then there's bacon-infused vodka, you know, for those who really like bacon and those who really like vodka. You know what? You can get bacon-infused vodka or you can even... Then there's weed-infused beer, even, you know, like if, if the punch and beer isn't enough, then combine that with a little bit of weed. And, and there's a way that you can go about doing that. But still, I think one of the best infused products on the face of this earth, and how many of you would agree with a solid amen, are jelly donuts. You know, being able to take and infuse a, a regular donut with some of that artificial uh, fake flavor, uh, jelly kind of, you know, raspberry mix. You know, I, I mean, th- there's just nothing better than that. And today to celebrate our two-year anniversary, we actually have some jelly donuts, uh, Timbits for you, infused with jelly. So what you're going to do, and you got to do this. you gotta, you got to be helpful because the people in the back are going to want it. So, so there's boxes coming down here, and it's up to you. Ushers aren't going to guide and assist you. Tim, give that to them. They're old enough and, as my mama would say, ugly enough to look after themselves. Okay, so, so they're able to take this, pass it behind. We want the people in the back. Our gift to you, you take one. If the person next to you isn't going to take one, take, take theirs. You know, you can assist them in that and, and they should wind their way to the back. Happy anniversary. Uh, that will go with our cake after way, afterwards, which I see is infused with lots of icing, which is another great treat. Um, but today, in light of all of this infusion we're talking about, what I want to talk about here this morning... And And what we've already read about is gospel-infused generosity. That we would be people that are generous, whether it's with our time, whether it's with our, 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 and and especially when it comes to our resources and and our money. That we would be just not givers, but gospel-infused, generous people. And and so you might even be thinking, so you're really going to talk about generosity, you're going to talk about giving on 
your anniversary Sunday? Yes, we are. Why? Because it's so important. There's so many truths here that we cannot afford to miss out on when it comes to our generosity and so many biblical principles. And and here's why. We are here today as a result of generous people, people who have been generous, who have been infused with with gospel generosity. Four years ago, when we started to meet to pray together at at a heritage house here in Kelowna, uh, a group of people starting to meet together and praying the verse from 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, Oh God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Little did we know that there was a church in Oakville that has in their elder board room this same prayer put on the wall. And their church was founded on this same prayer from 2 Chronicles. Oh Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And, And that prayer has been guiding the church in Oakville that God was stirring in their hearts as we approached them about possibly being together with them in the Harvest family. And little did we know that as God was stirring, as they were praying, as we were praying, that God would bring us together and we would enjoy this infusion of generosity and love from our sending church. They sought to, 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 uh, to, to share this need with the congregation. They could have easily have said, hey, we've already planted four churches in our region. We already have enough. You know, we, we can look after the Ontario here, the Ontario region, and yet God was stirring in their hearts to do something radical to help plant a church way across 4,000 kilometers away in Kelowna, British Columbia. We have been benefactors of gospel-infused generosity and how God has led and guided that, that group of people. It was then that gospel-infused generosity that they, as they shared this need with the congregation, they gave over and above their regular offering at their Christmas offering enough money to outfit Our trailer, full of supplies that you'll see pull up here every Sunday, approximately $80,000 worth of equipment said, here, Kelowna, a gift for you to be able to have church in a box. And and so thankful for their their love and for their sacrifice. And that Christmas, they did not only do uh, outfit one church, they outfitted Harvest Brantford out of that same offering. And, And God just loosed the people there to give generously to help plant other churches. Even here in Kelowna, it's been gospel-infused generosity. People who've given of their resources, of their time, of their, their financial gifts in order for us to be here today. We see Tom and Pam. It was three years ago, right? Or just a few weeks ago, it would have been their anniversary of driving across Canada, bringing that truck and, and that trailer uh, across Canada. They said uh, most of Ontario was really boring and, and Saskatchewan was utterly beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm sure some of that was partially made up by me. But anyways, we see that it's been gospel-infused generosity, gospel-infused prayers that has allowed us to be here today, and as we continue that generosity, a heart of generosity, a heart of prayer, that we would already be praying, oh God, where are we going to be able to help plant another church, perhaps here in this region, here in British Columbia, that the generosity we've received, we wouldn't just hold on to it, but that we would take and we would share that with others. The same happens with the gospel that we've experienced in our own lives. It is not just for me, for my own salvation, for my own family. It is something that we are to be generous with, to be able to go out and to share the good news with others and to share with generosity what Christ has done, to share, take take time. It's going to take time. It's going to take resources. It's going to take money to do that. 
But when it comes to giving, when it comes to finances, there can be many misconceptions. Even right now, I, there may even be some who are saying, where's my wallet? I better hold on to it. You know, like, like already you're sensing your blood pressure going a little bit and like, oh great, he's talking about first time here, he's talking about money. You know, oh folks, there's, there, there's just blessings here. I mean, Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell or prayer or faith combined. He knew this was an important subject. And people will say, and sadly, some people will frame churches and preachers as this, that all the church is after is my money. No, it's not true. It's after the heart. To see a heart that is being transformed by the gospel, but sadly, that can be the rub that people are given. Even Charlotte, when she graduated from university, she, her first job was with a trucking company. Um, she was not a trucker, but she was in the office and working there, and one of her work, kind of to get to know the, the company a little bit, she would have to do a ride-along with a trucker, and so she got assigned to Big Earl, and Earl was big, and Earl was an earl, I guess. I, I mean, it was really quite interesting because as soon as, as soon as she met him and he's this big fella, tall, uh, good size to him, and, and, he, and he says, now I hear you're a preacher's wife. I've got a lot of questions for you. And so they rode from Saskatoon to North Battleford, I believe it was, and he asked her different questions. One of the first questions, he says, I understand that if you go to church, you have to give 20% of your income to the church. And she says, no, that's not true. It's 30%. Um, no, she, she did not say that, but, but, but again, here's the misconception of Big Earl that all the church is out after is, 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 is your money. And sadly, there can be a lot of guilt, a lot of manip, manip, manipulation that comes along with this, as well as some really, really, really bad unbiblical teaching when it comes to money and giving. You know, like sometimes you'll hear, and, and sometimes for entertainment, but usually this entertainment, sadly, it's not even, it's sick entertainment, really, when, when I'll watch some of these, you know, uh, preachers on TV and, and some of the things they'll say and how they will take God's word and use it in, in an improper way. And, and, and the, they talk about seed money at times, and it's based out of 2 Corinthians 9, where, where, where they say, you know what, send me some seed money and you will see that God will give you back. Send me $100, you can expect $500 back from God. Just believe it, just name it, just God's word doesn't tell us to do that kind of thing. And that's an abuse of what that passage says. That money that we are to give, as it talks about sowing and reaping, we realize that when we sow something, we reap back. When you plant a, a, a weed, or not a weed, uh, those, those grow on their own, uh, except the weed kind that you might want, that some people do plant, but, but a wheat plant, you put one seed in the ground, it will produce more. It, it will produce abundance. But that abundance is not for me, for my gadgets, for my possessions, for my toys it is as you read that passage God blesses he promises to take care of us and there's the law of the harvest that you reap but it's not a reaping for so it all lands on you for your greedy little heart it's for you to be able to turn back and be able to give it back to God to keep that work going and and to keep encouraging and seeing God's work go ahead that's what second Corinthians 9 is all about not about Give me money, send me money, give me 100 bucks, get $500 back. If these preachers, it was kinda, it's kind of funny as I was thinking about, if they're so confident in this promise from God's word, why don't they send all of us $100 and in return, in their faith, they should be expecting back $500 back from every one of us that, you know, not that we're giving it to them, but that, that somehow they're going to have $500 each. I mean, it just it doesn't seem to make sense what they're, they're doing in that way. 
But we see these kind of things go on, and so, so there's a lot of guilt, manipulation, and bad teaching that goes along with this. That does not produce gospel-infused giving. It can raise money, a lot of money, in a short period of time, but it doesn't produce what we're talking about here today. Now, if we look at our text here in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's, he's, he, he writes 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. There's actually some other letters that he also wrote, but we have uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians in the Word of God, and he's writing to the church in Corinth. And so here you'll see a map, and, and, and you'll see, first of all, Paul at this time um, is in Macedonia. So if we can go to the next one, there you go. He's in Macedonia where you see um, he, he's, he's writing from there where there's Thessalonica, there's Philippi, Berea in that area, and so he's there at this time, and he's writing to the church in Corinth, and so now you'll see where Corinth is, and, and, and so he's writing there, and he's writing to this church in Corinth, and he's saying, hey church in Corinth, I want to encourage you, I want to bring to your attention the need of the Christians of the church in Jerusalem, and so now you'll see where Jerusalem is. Would you please Consider, would you send money? I'm not going to, and he says, this isn't a command. Would you consider sending money to help the church in Jerusalem? And so he's writing uh, to them, to, to asking them to assist. And why is, why is Jerusalem struggling? Because they're going through a tough economic time. Remember, this is where the church began. It began in Jerusalem, but there was tough economic times caused by, they believe, a famine during that time, but also because Christians were being marginalized for their faith, and they were being persecuted. And as soon as someone would identify themselves as a follower of Jesus Christ, oftentimes they would lose their job. They would oftentimes even be placed outside their family. Their family would consider them no longer part of their family because they had left their faith, they had left the Jewish tradition, or they had left whatever kind of other uh, lifestyle that they were living, and, and now they were a part of the body of Christ. They were part of the way. They had become Christians. And so, so Paul is writing to the church in Corinth from Macedonia and, and saying, would you help them? Now, the church in Corinth was an interesting church, especially if you read 1 Corinthians, you'll see how really kind of messed up this church was, and, and yet there was a good work that was happening there. Paul had planted that church on his second missionary journey. He had spent about a year and a half there training up elders and, and, and getting leadership in place, but there was a lot of different pressures that they were facing, but they were a rather affluent, very well-off city, and, and so they at times got rather arrogant, thinking they were quite something, and, and, and they were in some good economic times. And so Paul is saying, hey, would you be generous and help the church in Jerusalem? You see, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he uses it as he writes, and we'll read the first few verses here from, from, from chapter 8. We see that he's writing from Macedonia and he's writing about what the church in Macedonia was already doing. And so here, let's, uh, I'm going to read here from, from verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. You can follow along in your Bibles. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us." Now, the church in Macedonia, there in Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica, in that area of Macedonia, they were poor. 
They were in poverty. In, in fact, that word poverty, basically what we see from the meaning of that is that they were like third world country poor. They were, had been persecuted as well for their faith. They were going through tough economic times. And yet what gushed out of them? Joy and generosity. They were begging Paul to be able to give money to help the church in Jerusalem. And they just didn't give uh, over what, you know, kind of their leftovers. They gave beyond their means. They gave in faith. They gave this money willingly and with great joy. And, you know, some of the grumpiest, most negative, unsatisfied, fear-filled people and worried people that I know are rich. Financially, they have it all. There's no financial worry at all in their future, and yet they have no joy. They can be tight and stingy, and, and even though they have so much, that yet they're so poor because they haven't learned about gospel-infused generosity. And yet some of the most joy-filled, gracious, generous people are those that at times are living on fumes, They have basically nothing, but they are so content because they have found the generosity of God in their lives to be more than enough. They've understood this principle that we're talking about here today. And they know and they believe that God will provide. They gave in faith, knowing that God would take care of them, and God did. What is the most, or or what is the root of Their joy, the church in Macedonia, why were they so cheerful? Why were they so willing to give? It was because of Jesus. The difference that Jesus had made in their lives. Look at in verse 5, it says, They gave themselves first to the Lord, then to us. They saw that their lives were not their own. They had given themselves, their hearts completely to the Lord. He was not only Savior, but He was Lord. And they saw that their possessions were not their own. They belonged to Christ. They didn't give in order to to, to get in good with with the church. They didn't give in order to to kind of buy their salvation. They gave freely. They gave from the heart. And how can we have hearts? How can we give our hearts to God and not our finances? Think about that. We can't. It's got to be all or nothing. You hear that Savior, either he is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. When we're closed-fisted, tight-fisted when it comes to not only our money, but let's face it, time is a currency in our day that we live in. And when we are are so guarded and careful and and tight, it's my time, it's me time, and there's not a heart of generosity, that's a concern. Is he Lord of my time? Is he Lord of my money? Is he Lord of my life? And see, all of this is so intertwined, and, and at times, our money and our time and how we spend it, it can be a real reflection of our hearts, of what we value of what's important. But you see, but I have so many obligations. I have so many commitments. I have, I have payments. I have debt. I, I'll start giving when I'm able to give something substantial or I'll start giving when I get a job or, or get that promotion or, or get that deal or, or when I get out of debt or, or, or when life slows down, I'll be able to commit to something or, or when I get a little older or the kids are a little older and we come up with all of these different excuses. But the Macedonian church decided and they knew in their hearts the best time to give was right now in the midst of their poverty. And, and what was the overflow of it all? Joy. They were happy, happy people, looking for opportunities, begging Paul to be able to give. 
And in the midst of these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, encourage you to read them this week to make sure you realize that I'm not just making this stuff up. Take and read these two chapters. Paul is talking, the, taking the, the, these two chapters here, this middle part of the book of 2 Corinthians, to talk about giving and about gospel-infused giving. And so right in the center of it, this verse that we've already looked at today in verse 9 that we're going to dig through even just starting right now, he, he p- puts this right in the middle because he wants you to remember this is the reason. This is the reason everything is different. This is the reason why we give with generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, this would be a fantastic verse to learn, not in the area of giving, but it's already because of what Christ has done. We see the giving of, of Christ here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. I encourage you to write this down. and There's going to be some, some verses for you to write down today that I'd love for you to read and to, to follow through with this week. Gospel-infused generosity understands the supremacy of Christ. Look at this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's one thing to know something with head knowledge. It's another thing to know something through experience. And the word know here isn't head knowledge kind of know. The word know here means to know from personal experience. When I was in college studying to become a pastor, we went through this class. There was two, two semesters of it, and it was called Pastoral Methods. And this is where we had seasoned pastors come in and, and, and train and teach us and talk about different things, you know, like like baby dedications and, and uh, you know, weddings and funerals and, and, and baptisms and, and how to do these things and, and kind of, you know, the biblical perspective on it, but how to do it in a practical way. And so we are learning all of this. And even part of it is one of the classes, we actually went to a funeral home and, and we're kind of led through a tour of the funeral home just so we could become familiar and, and see what one day when we would be pastors, just kind of what our role, what our responsibilities, even it would come to uh, when it would come to the funeral of someone and but but that tour got cut a little short because one of the guys in our group passed out uh, he fainted he, it was just too much when we were um, on the tour and and a lot of the other guys really started to feel really not very well so they decided just to call it a day and send everyone home early that day um, now it's one thing to learn something in a textbook or in a classroom or even to hear it from a seasoned pastor or teacher or someone but it's another thing to experience it for yourself for instance, a baby dedication. What do you do when the baby is crying or is trying to rip out your microphone or, or, or you know, like what do you do at that time? You know, like some of the, they don't really train you or teach you for that or when you're, you're dealing with the emotions and the tensions of the mother of the bride. You know, nothing can prepare you for that at times or, or you know, entering into the grief and the loss of a family at the time of, of someone's funeral and they're looking to you for strength and for stability and direction and, 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 and you're becoming a basket case yourself because it's a affecting you in a great way. You can read about it, you can YouTube it, you can do all of this thing, but you don't actually know until you actually know until you experience it. And what Paul is saying here, he's, and, and the question for us today, do you know, have you personally experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? You can read about it, but have you experienced it? You can ponder it, but do you know it within your own heart? Look at these verses, I encourage you to write this down. 
write down these verses. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.9, we are all under God's wrath. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2.1, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2.12, we are separated from God. I mean, those are pretty negative verses. Those are pretty overwhelming verses. And, And yet that is the state of our heart, of our life. That is the state of our nation. That is the state of those people around us in our family who've never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have not personally experienced and have come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, wow, that's, that's heavy, that's negative, that's serious, but it's truth from God's word. But notice there's those little FFs beside each one of those. When you see one F, that means look at the verse following. When you see two Fs, that means study the next number of verses. And so on all of these, as we read about the wrath, we see the wages of sin, we see all of this that we're dead in our trespasses and sin, keep reading. Don't stop. Don't stop at the bad news. Get to the good news. And the good news, each and every verse following in there, or the verses following on every one of those passages, start talking about the grace and the love and all that is ours in Christ, how once we are dead, but now we're made alive because of the gospel. Romans 3.23, yes, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but it goes on to say, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, Ephesians 2.1 says, yes, you have been dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. But in verse 4, it goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you know this personally? Have you experienced this in your own life? His grace, unmerited, undeserved, nothing we can do to earn his favor. And all we do is receive it. There's nothing we can do to buy it. We can't buy our our, our way into God's grace, into heaven. We can't work our way by living a good, good life. It's not on the basis of country of origin or our good deeds or or we're generally likable and nice people. That doesn't earn our way into the grace of God. It only comes, Romans 10, verse 8 and 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Have you done that? Have you received the gift of grace? That's the most important decision you'll ever make. most important decision isn't who you'll marry. That's an important decision. It isn't what you're going to do for a job. That's an important decision. But the most important is what you will do with your life now and for time in eternity. And it comes down to this. Do you know the grace? Have you personally received the grace of God? And it's in understanding this grace and receiving his grace and his mercy in our lives, it starts to change everything. It realigns how we think. Our motivations change. And we become gospel-infused givers as we take the word of God like we're seeing it today and we apply it to our lives. And look at as we continue on in verse 9, it says, though he was rich, talking about Jesus, Jesus was rich. Now our minds right away go to where our, you know, go to dollars and cents because that's the currency that we oftentimes think of when we think of riches. But true riches are far greater than dollars and cents. 
you can go online, and, and I kind of enjoy doing this from different, from different uh, vantage points as I'm watching news or some sort of entertainment story or whatever. And uh, so you, just this week I did a little, did you know Justin Bieber is, uh, his net worth is around $200 million? You can go online and say net worth of so-and-so. Um, Wayne Gretzky, it's around $200 million as well. Michael Jordan, $1.1 billion. And, and you can, can, you know, famous celebrities and that, they, they take and they average their income and, and, and from endorsements and houses and different properties and different business things that they've done. And so you, you, they, they piece together uh, a net worth. Get a little concerned and, and a little saddened when I see, tr when you Google TV preachers and you see one worth $42 million, tends to wear white suits a lot. And, and, and then another one, $760 million who was able to get his, his, his listeners from around the world to recently give him $65 million to buy a new jet. And, and you see these kind of things and you just think, okay, you know what? If you Google, and I actually did it this week, go ahead and do it. There's someone, I, I put net worth of Jesus. What would have been the net worth of Jesus Christ when he lived here on this earth? You know what his net worth was? Zero. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a place. He even said, he says, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has, has nowhere to even lay his head. I mean, he, 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 he was couch surfing along with his disciples. I mean, he didn't have a place. And, and he had the clothes on his back, and his clothes probably were not worth very much. At one point, they were worth, I guess, some, you know, the, the soldiers were, were gambling for it, but he didn't even get the money for that. He had nothing. And yet it says, though he was rich, Jesus was rich. It's interesting, even with, with Jesus, even when the offerings did come in, it, he, he didn't take it. It went to the thief. It went to Judas, who ended up taking the money and, and, and taking his, his share out of those offerings that we read. Jesus, his net worth, zero dollars. But it says, so how is he rich? It says, the, God's word doesn't lie. God's word says he's, he's rich. Oh, Jesus, he's rich in honor. He's rich in glory. He's rich in authority. I encourage you to write, write these down because this is important because these are, are, are what his riches included. Christ had position. He had status. He was rich in position. He was second person of the Trinity, the object of worship of all cre creatures throughout all of creation, throughout the entire universe. He had all glory. He was, there wasn't God and then God Jr. He had all the glory of God. All the fullness of God was found in Jesus. He declared that he and the Father were one. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You can't get any higher than that. He was rich in glory, in honor. He also had a place. He had a place in heaven. He had a place of belonging in heaven. Acts 17, 25 said he had need of nothing. It wasn't like Jesus was lonely or kind of had a little disagreement with the Father and with the Holy Spirit and says, I'm going to go and I'm going to create an earth and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to go hang out. It wasn't like he, he was lonely and so he needed to create some people. No, he had perfect relationship with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. Totally fulfilling. It was a, a relationship of love and respect. But we also see Christ was rich in power, creator, sustainer of the universe. All divine attributes were his. Everything ascribed to him. And you see, folks, gospel-infused generosity starts with understanding 
the riches in Christ, the supremacy of Christ, who he was, who he is today. And second of all, gospel-infused generosity is motivated by the sacrifice of Christ. As we are reading here in verse 9, though he was rich, he had position, place, and power, yet for your sake he became poor. Now, the way that this is put here in the Greek, it's in the imperative, this word your, yet for your sake, and he's saying for your sake, 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 for your sake. Very personal. For your sake, he became poor. For your sake, he became poor. Now, when we think of poor, we might think of, you know, just someone who doesn't have a lot. And, and at times, we will hear in the news, and again, you can go online, you can find all this information out, you will hear of wealthy people who give away vast sums of money. Our world is thankful for wealthy people who are very generous. People like Warren Buffett have, has given away billions of dollars. Someone like Bill Gates, and, and through... Um, his foundation, along with his wife, they've given away billions of dollars, a lot of it to, to eradicate just certain diseases and, and to, to bring health and, 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 and a better life for people here on this earth. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, the, the founder of, of Facebook, declared when his daughter was born that he would give 99% of his shares away that he owns in Facebook. 90, I mean, how giving is that? Like a guy who's willing to give away 99% of his net worth? That's great. That's a lot of money. And Facebook is currently valued at, at, at $45 million. Or no, sorry, sorry, $45 billion. And so his 1%... 450, I had some help on this. I couldn't figure it out on my own. Some guys helped me this week. $450 million. So he's given away 99%, but he's living off of 1%, which is $450 million. I I think he should survive and won't need food stamps by the end of his retirement if if he plays it right. That's great. That's generous. In a sense, he's giving so much away. But when it says that Christ became poor... Though he was rich, he became poor. What this is talking about is he gave it all away. He gave it all up, 100%. Spurgeon uh, is the one who has penned words along this way um, when he said, could you imagine the buzz in heaven when the angels would have found out that the Son of God was going to earth in the form of a human? He's going in the form of a baby? He's going to be in a manger? As a little child, he's going to become a common worker, live in a common house. He's going to become an undeserving criminal. The one whom the angels have bowed down to for time and eternity are, are, are going to... He's going to bow down at the feet of his disciples and wash their dirty, stinking feet? The one who has been robed in glory would be beaten red with his own blood? The one who created water would be crying out from the cross, saying, I thirst, and dependent on others to give him water, and instead they give him vinegar. And it says, yet for your sake, for your sake, for your sake, for my sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There you have it. There you have the prosperity gospel. Look at it. It says there that you will become rich. (laughs) You will become rich. 
Folks, true prosperity isn't having lots of money and cars and possessions and, and, and earnings and, 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 and power and whatever it might be. True prosperity is having Jesus. There is nothing, nothing that can or will compare with that. There is true prosperity is having Jesus as his cross as our forgiveness, his resurrection as our hope, the gospel as our wisdom, the church as our community, his cause, worldwide evangelism as our purpose. And look what our riches include. Look at these. They should already be written down. What do our riches include? Position, power, place, and a power. That's what we get. Do we have that slide on there? This is what we get as well. We get position. 1 John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8 says that, we, that in Christ we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. Whatever Jesus is getting, you're getting. What a promise. That's what's waiting for his children. We are joint heirs. We are on the paper with him. There's Jesus, there's your name, there's my name. If we are in Christ, we are joint heirs. We become sons and daughters. We have position as children of God. We're rich. We have a place. Goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life. John 3.16, we, we know that verse. And it ends off with the gift of God is eternal life. John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is going to be awesome. He has a place for you, for all of his family in heaven. But here on earth, he has a place for you here, within the body of Christ. The church is our community. We have brothers and sisters. You might say, I'm an only child. No, you're not. Not if you're in Christ. We have the family of God. That's why we have small groups kicking off so even in a greater way we can get to know and be known to, to stand with, pray with, celebrate, rejoice, mourn, support, encourage one another to know and be known. We have a place. We have a place in heaven. And we have power. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We have the power of Christ made available to us in and through the Holy Spirit. We have power to stand for Christ when it's hard. We have power to suffer for Christ when we need to. We have power over temptation and fear that is available to us. We're not running our own battery strength. That's going to run out. But his power is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We're rich. We're rich. For you know, I'm going to repeat this again, I'm hoping this, this verse just, just marinates in your mind, in your thinking. This is a great gospel verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. And it's placed right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of Paul's call to the church to be generous, to give generously. He's calling an arrogant, wealthy church to give generously. One that was no doubt tempted to sit back and say, we've done something, we've arrived. 
The call here that we have here in this passage and in these chapters are to be gospel-infused givers. The motivation of what Christ has given to us propels us, infuses us with these gospel realities of the position and the place and the power that we have been gifted so that we want to go out and we just want to freely give to others. But this can be a huge issue for many believers or many people. That's why Jesus spoke so much about money and about possessions. Like I said, more than heaven and hell and prayer and faith combined are the verses and the passages that he spoke about money. Because for many of us, this can be a real test of our heart. And the question is, where is our treasure? Where is our heart at? And this is a, a great way to re, that reveals it. See, when, when people say, well, I'll give Jesus my heart, but not my wallet or my money or my time, which is a currency these days. But until the Lord gets hold of us in this, he doesn't truly have our hearts. If we're not a generous people, it means that, that we really don't understand the gospel. We don't understand the freedom by which he has given and so freely to us undeserving people, he gave of himself. He put himself in a place of absolute emptiness, knowing what would be on the other side of it. Yours and my redemption. And so we give in the same way. You see, money isn't innately good and it's not innately evil. It's neutral. But it is a test as it reveals our hearts. You say, how much should I give, Meldon? Come on, tell me. What is it? What's the harvest standard? Well, God's word has a lot to say about money. You know, do I give the 10% or like Big Earl? Do you give the 20% like he thinks? You know, or, or 10%, well, that's, that's, that's Old Testament. That was when they were under the law. We're in the new covenant now. Do we really need to do that? Because you know, it, it's really, you know, we're to be grace givers now. And so 10% is no longer that, that standard or, or whatever. Well, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, Paul does say, he says, everyone should decide in their heart what they are to give. It should be a matter of prayer and seeking God. And if our hearts have truly been, been touched and stirred by the grace of God, then generosity ought to flow out of our lives. It actually raises the bar in our generosity. And a tithe, I think, becomes a good benchmark. Jesus never discouraged the tithe. In, in Matthew chapter 23, he says, you tithe, that is good. He said, tithing is good. But again, he's going not after, after the one, he's going after the heart. And even Paul says, he says, this isn't a command. This isn't something I'm making you do. But it's to be an overflow of the generosity that you've already received from God. And if we have received from him freely his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, then we ought to be the most generous people. When we see a need, we step in. God's word has much to say that we should give regularly, faithfully, as, 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 as a way of obedience and, and discipline in our lives. And, and, and there's many instructions that we have that we should give our, our first fruits and our best fruits, not our leftovers. You know, not the apple orchard run uh, bin when it comes to that. I mean, you can go right now and you can buy cheap apples at stores and different things because it's the apple run, uh, you know, the, the orchard run uh, deals that you can get. These are the ones that are bruised up, beat up kind of thing. They're, they're going to be juiced if you don't buy them, you know. They're, they're kind of the rejects. And, and so you can go and, like I did this week, bought a bunch of them for 70 cents because they're a lot cheaper than, than the real good ones. And there's nothing wrong with them if you eat them right away, but they're not going to last. And, and the sad thing is that sometimes when it comes to giving, we give of the leftovers. We, we wait and see, how is it at the end of the month, at the end of the year? But no, but if we give faithfully, regularly, and we give, by faith, God does provide. And he blesses, 
and he blesses in ways that we can't, not always financially, but he gives us more than we can absolutely imagine in, in his mercy and his grace that we just see it unleashed in new ways as we trust him. And the whole passage at the end of 2 Corinthians 9 ends with, but thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. So this morning, what we're going to do, we're not going to pass around an offering basket and, and say, hey, let's take another offering. Not at all. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take time to ponder the love of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, as we spend time together in communion, as we worship the Lord. And I pray that as this song, is, as we worship together, that the reality of the love and the sacrifice, that though he was rich, he had it all. He gave it up for you and for me so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And he gives us a place and he gives us position and he gives us power. That's amazing. And so as, we, as the band comes up, they're going to lead us in worship and, and have you stand and, or you may sit if you would like. And, and the communion will be available here, the bread and the cup. And you can take a piece of bread, you can break it off, you can dip it in the cup and you can partake. But this is for believers in Christ. These are for, this is a, a special meal for those who have committed their, their lives to Jesus Christ as a reminder of the gospel. That Christ died as a sacrifice for our sins. And God's word says that we ought to examine our hearts before we partake. And I encourage you to spend some time, even as you worship, to, to, to ponder where your heart is at. Is there sin that needs to be confessed? Is he your Lord and your Savior? And if not, you can pray and you can invite him into your heart even today. If you've been wandering and drifting, why not come back today? And as you spend that time in prayer, come and partake and remember. But remember, this is, this is for believers in Christ. And, and, and there's no pressure for you to take, even if you're a believer in Christ, but it's been one of those days and you've just got some, some, some worship and, and a reminder of what you need to do uh, before that. Um, just feel free to let it go by. But folks, these are, this is a serious issue what we're talking about today. We're reminded of the mission that we've been given from God. It's not a mission just to take care of ourselves, but to be on mission with God. Even this morning, we were very sober in our, in our thinking and in our preparations as uh, people arrived here today to do setup to find the police at the back of the theater. And there they were taking a body that was found early this morning. I believe probably a drug overdose. It's happening right outside these doors. And Jesus Christ loved that person. He gave his life for that person, but we don't know who it was. We don't know their story. But we have been put on a mission to be the most generous people. And the gospel motivates this generosity in us to want to tell others to not just keep it within ourselves, to give freely, that we can plant other churches, that we can have ministries within this church that will, will reach into our city, into our neighborhoods, into our schools, and to see the gospel take heart, take root in people's lives that they don't have to find it at the edge of a needle. They don't have to find their, their hope, their significance in a bottle. It's in Christ. That's why we drink. That's why we eat. That's why we remember what he's already done. But we've been put on mission for him. Let's stand together and worship, and when you're ready, partake. As believers in Christ, encourage you to do that as the team leads us.